0: Here is one of our many recordings from the Revolutionary Ideas online festival held on the 28th and 29th of November, 2020. This was a weekend of Marxist discussion and debate held by Socialist Alternative. Want to join our fight? Go to socialistalternative.net today and get in touch to play your role in the struggle for a
1: world free of capitalist oppression.
2: Hi, everyone. (laughs) Welcome to the main rally of the Revolution Radios Festival. I'm Yara, I'm from North London, and uh, I'm in in the Socialist Alternative branch of North London. And I'll be chairing this rally. Now we're here today after, I think, a really impressive start to our weekend of discussions. And it's been so good so far, and I'm really excited to close our first day like this. So first of all, I want to ask everyone who can to turn on their cameras. So we can see as many of your faces and really feel like we're together in one room, even though we can't. So uh, it would be just really good if you can, obviously, you can still stay if you don't. Um, We are joined with some amazing speakers from all around the world today. And I think they're all going to tell us more about the struggle in their respective countries and how it connects to the theme of tonight's rally, which is crisis and revolt, a world to win. Now, although this title is a direct quote from Marx and Engels' Communist Manifesto, which is a document that was written almost 200 years ago, it is bang on the money even today. And we're living in an age of crisis worldwide. In the past year alone, we've seen a paralyzing pandemic, an economic depression that's forecasted to be the worst in the history of global capitalism, an emerging Cold War, an ever intensifying environmental catastrophe in the shape of wildfires, floods, and hurricanes, and clearer and clearer views of the inherent racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia within the system. But just like Marx and Engels pointed out 200 years ago, the working class is not standing idly by. We are fighting against each and every one of these issues, and the gravity of turmoil of our of, our, of the turmoil of our time makes more and more of us realize that these are not anecdotal fa- failures. These, this is a systemic problem which can only be solved by re- removing capitalism altogether and putting in its place a system that is controlled and built for the benefit of the working class. And that system is socialism. And this is what we at Socialist Alternative are building for. We're building an organization that can organize and fight capitalism radicalizing and mobilizing the working class towards the goal of revolution. And obviously then uh, a socialist world that will work for us and not for profit. And because we realize that the problem is systemic, we know that we can't organize here on our own. That's why we're part of an international organization with activists all around the world in over 30 countries on every single continent, fighting for the same things as us, Uh, just like Marx and Engels said The working class have nothing to lose by their chains. They have a world to win. So I know we're we're all here tonight to learn from the experience of our activists around the globe. So I don't want to take too much of our time uh, 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 talking about this. So we have a brilliant list of speakers. I'm sure we're all very excited to hear from them. Uh, So I want to start with Ginger, who's a member of Socialist Alternative in the U.S., And I wanted to ask you, Ginger, how are you feeling about the major developments in the U.S. in the past year and specifically since the election?
3: Well, that's an excellent question, Yara, and um, thank you so much for introducing me. Uh, And I'm bringing solidarity from the U.S. section of International Socialist Alternative. Um, And mostly I'll speak about the presidential election, but I also want to say a few comments about next steps. And kind of as Yara said, you know, facing a deepening economic crisis, still in a global pandemic, the working class has two paths in front of us. One is a road of struggle with a huge potential payoff at the end, namely a socialist world democratically organized with equality and solidarity. And then on the other hand, a regression into barbarism where millions of working class people face dramatically worsening inequality pushed by the ruthlessness of the billionaire class and capitalism's extreme cruelty and violence. The capitalist press offers no end to articles about self-care during the pandemic, a steady drumbeat of individual self-help. Meanwhile, the private for-profit US healthcare system ranks last in the developed world for access and quality. In August, the Center for Disease Control released a report saying that one in four young people had seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. A full 10% of the US population had seriously contemplated suicide in June. The situation in the US is bleak in many respects, but working people and progressive movements have registered a huge victory. To the relief of millions, Trump will be a one-term president. It was the relentless fight from below against his racist anti-worker administration that pushed him out, not the democratic establishment that attacked Bernie, whose program was directed at the multiracial working class. Broadly, the mood was to hashtag settle for Biden. The Dems weren't offering real change for the majority of people in the US. The Republicans also ramped up voter disenfranchisement efforts, including numerous lawsuits that are being thrown out of the courts daily, alongside Trump's constant attacks against the US Postal Service and mail-in voting. But these attacks did not have their desired impact and actually more people voted in this election than in any other in US history. However, people are shocked at how close the results actually were. Democrats had four years to pull together a strong message that could win over those who gave Trump an anti-establishment vote in 2016. But it's no exactly that without the pandemic and the Trump administration's atrocious handling of it, he would have defeated Biden. Biden has repeatedly said he doesn't support kicking corporations out of healthcare, in favor of implementing a public or Medicare for all system. On the eve of the election, he said he would not ban fracking. He doesn't support a green new deal. And when asked about police reform, he said they could be less lethal if they just shoot him in the leg. This wasn't one of his famous gaffes. He actually repeated shoot him in the leg as a solution to police murdering Black people several times. (laughs) Biden actually told Wall Street donors as well that nothing will fundamentally change. As bad as this sounds, while Trump is on his way out of the White House, the factors that drove the rise of Trump will not be addressed under a Biden presidency. The narrowness of this election is an indictment of the Democratic Party. And in that context, we can start to explain how 73 million people voted for Trump, conspiracy theories and all. No doubt for part of his loyal base, this vote was about hardening racism. But to stop an analysis there as the corporate press has tried to do, belies the ineffective strategy and massive risks taken by the Democratic establishment to prioritize loyalty to Wall Street and the billionaire class over the threats of an organizing far right and the needs of the working class. In fact, the only section of the population where Trump's percentage support decreased was among non-college educated white voters. His support grew among Black and Latino voters who have been long taken for granted by the Democratic Party. The majority of Trump voters said the driving factor for their vote was concern about the economy. For Biden voters, it was the pandemic. The joke making the rounds with more than a kernel of truth was that the Democratic Party fought harder to defeat Bernie than to fight Trump. Bernie's campaign popularized socialism and mobilized millions. But when the establishment succeeded at routing his campaign, rather than fight for the working class focused program that had made him so popular, Bernie spent the summer saying it was our responsibility to fight fascism by voting for Biden. This didn't actually address the reality facing millions of people who faced decades of neoliberal attacks on wages, on union rights, and on social services, all of which are being quickened with the excuse of the pandemic. It just stuck a finger in the open wound of Bernie's capitulation because there was nothing else he could say to support Biden. And it further alienated working class people concerned about the record unemployment we face, no further stimulus package, and nothing but politics as usual bickering between the two parties at Congress. So I'm speaking to you from Minneapolis, where on May 25th, police murdered George Floyd and sparked an international movement against racist police violence. And in fact, many Nigerian youth in the US were quick to draw connection between George Floyd and the explosive struggle in Nigeria against SARS and the police. The Minneapolis rebellion was a multiracial uprising led by black and immigrant youth and support for it in broader society showed the potential for a united fight against racism and economic inequality. But the lack of leadership, organization, and a clear strategy gave the ruling class the opportunity to confuse issues like the call to defund the police. And Trump may be out of office, but he's not going away. And the US working class faces a real battle to build the mass movement that can demoralize and defeat a consolidating right wing. No doubt that Trump benefited in the sections of American society with the most backward ideas about race by using a law and order rhetoric. But on the other side, this was the largest protest movement in US history with over 50 million people participating in protests over the summer. And at the height of the uprising, a survey showed that the burning of a police precinct in Minneapolis had more support than either presidential candidate. The contradictory situation here will not stand still. The democratic establishment is incapable of fighting the far right, And a Joe shoot him in the leg Biden status quo presidency strengthens a likely more dangerous right-wing figure running for president in four years. COVID is truly exploding. Over 260,000 have died. And with over 12 million cases, we are number one in the world right now. With cases rising as fast as they are, the U.S. could cross the threshold of 2,000 daily deaths within a month. Without a miraculous improvement in care, the U.S. is about to face the darkest period of the pandemic so far. Roughly 13 million people could be kicked off unemployment on January 1st, and millions are on the brink since the $600 a week top-up on unemployment benefits stopped in July. And yet capital press, like The Economist, without any substantial relief package, uh, shoot, uh, working in oppressed people facing desperation can be won over to deadly attempts to push people back to work only in the interest of capitalist profit. We urgently must build a mass movement to fight for an emergency stimulus, for a socialist green new deal, for community control over public safety, for a universal healthcare system and much more. And this election showed that these policies are popular, but we need a new party based on the working class and social justice movements to fight for this program. As a testament to this, what's known as the squad in Congress has expanded. More progressive uh, policies, uh, more progressives are fighting for pro-worker measures uh, from within the Democratic Party in this way. Um, And the uh, self-identified socialists are joining uh, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And actually because of these uh, recent victories, the squad actually holds the balance of power in the congressional house. However, their strategy has rested in trying to win the corporate Democratic Party to their progressive policies, repeatedly getting thrown under the bus, even while they and those policies are inspiring millions of people to get active. Back in January, AOC actually went some distance toward diagnosing the real problem for progressives fighting for pro worker measures from within the Democratic Party, when she said that in any other country, she and Joe Biden wouldn't actually be in the same party. More recently, she said she has thought about quitting politics, facing the democratic establishments, hostility to policy. We think it would be a huge mistake for AOC or other members of the squad to succumb to demoralization and leave politics, just as support for their ideas is growing. The strategy that AOC as well as Bernie Sanders have been pursuing up to this point, you know, they sort of leverage their assistance with campaigns in hopes of winning support from the establishment. This is a failed strategy. Building a new party for the working class is the logical conclusion of all the hostility that AOC describes experiencing. Addressing the hostility means leaving the party, not begging the establishment to be your friend. We have learned these lessons from the years of experience having a Marxist in the city council in Seattle with socialist alternative member Shama Sawant. Big business and the right wing are furious about the impact that our council seat as socialist has had as a megaphone for social and working class movements in Seattle and far beyond. Attacks from the corporate media and establishment Democrats have been constant, but our movement combined with the council seat has registered numerous victories for working people in housing and workplace rights, and then of course the incredible tax on Amazon. And while we support democratic recall of representatives if they fail to serve working people, this recall effort is a part of a nation- nationwide backlash by the right wing. And political establishments of both parties against the Black Lives Matter movement. This will be an all-out fight between working-class people and big business in Seattle and it will take a powerful grassroots movement to win against all the might and the resources of the corporate elite. Our council seat has been a shining example to the rest of the left on how socialists can fight in office and be truly rooted in the working-class movements needed to nationalize the fossil fuel industry and build the democratically organized green energy grid that we desperately need if we hope to save the planet. Our council office has repeatedly set an example for the type of movement the squad should build if we hope to win Medicare for all. It's an example for the type of movement needed to win a new party based in a fighting labor movement and a decisive break from progressives abusive relationship with the democratic party. Please follow the Shama Solidarity campaign, social media as well, solidarity where possible as losing the seat has really terrible international pl- implications as well for our movements. Comrades in the US, working class people and youth aren't accepting that our future has been pre-written by the horrors of this system. In Socialist Alternative, we've recruited more than 500 new members to revolutionary socialist ideas just this year. Our members played a leading role in the BLM rebellion, including our bus driver comrades, giving an example on solidarity to the rest of the labor movement by refusing to collaborate with the Minneapolis Police Department. In Pittsburgh, a branch that was new and very small in 2016 is now leading a campaign in working class neighborhoods to stop the building of a new police precinct connected to community control over public safety and taxing the rich to fund social services. Our members are leading renters committees in Minneapolis and Boston, organizing for rent relief and preparing the apparatus that can turn quiet evictions into a political struggle. Our union member comrades in the Postal Service and in healthcare are fighting in their workplace every day for adequate PPE, reporting how much discussions have deepened on the need for a new party and a democratically organized economy. Women workers are being disproportionately impacted and without deep COVID relief, with the recent addition of cult ideologue Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court, we face massive potential setbacks in the women's movement. But young people have seen the incredibly inspiring fight back in Poland, where a reactionary court and administration was forced to retreat. We're seeing a more internationally conscious youth movement than ever before. Our international is built on proud traditions of genuine Marxism. We're rooted in the experience of the Bolshevik party, which overthrew a capitalist class and built a worker's government for the first time. On a local level here in Minneapolis, Trotskyus led the Teamsters Union and three strikes in 1934 in the middle of the Great Depression, offering lessons for today, which galvanized millions in a decisive turning point for the US labor movement. Neither would have happened without an international perspective. Furthermore, they had the correct perspectives for struggle, which well positioned them as worker leaders. This is what we are building on today. In the midst of these unprecedented times of uncertainty on one side and on the other side, inspirational social struggle in response to capitalism's disdain for human life on a truly colossal scale, we have incredible space for revolutionary Marxists to build the forces to fight for socialism. And as Fred Hampton said, peace to you if you're willing to fight for it. Thank you. Thank
2: you so much, Ginger. I think it's always so interesting to hear from our comrades in the US. You're doing amazing, an amazing job, both with the Sharma campaigns, but generally of recruiting all around the US. And I'm sure we all learned a lot about something that I think everyone around the world has been following intently. Um, so uh, thank you so much for being here and telling us about this. And I, uh, I completely urge everyone to go and read more about the Shama Solidarity Campaign and kind of follow it and do whatever you can you can to help. Now we have uh, our next speaker, who's Jackie, who is as an, an ICU nurse throughout the pandemic has seen the effects of the pandemic and also the consequences of it firsthand. And it's not just, you know, it's not just a health crisis. It exposed the system uh, as one that cares about nothing but profit, and that includes our health. So Jackie, what would you think our analysis of the COVID crisis
4: as socialists should be?
5: Uh,
4: well, um, yesterday I found myself um, not for the first time this year wrapped up in plastic um, looking after critically ill, um, critically unwell people um, in an operating theatre, which is usually used for removing tonsils. But we were attempting to repurpose it as some kind of pop-up intensive care unit. And the thought did cross my mind, as I think it's crossed the minds of millions of healthcare workers around the world uh, recently, how did I get here? Um, and the answer of well, course is no great conspiracy the answer is capitalism at every stage of this pandemic the proliferation of covid-19 across the world has been accelerated by an economic and social system which is driven not by human needs but by private profit we have 61 million cases 1.4 million deaths and counting there's been immeasurable human suffering all of which has been entirely preventable but for the capitalist system the origins of this pandemic lie in the transmission of the virus from bats to humans, not directly, but via an intermediate animal host um, in the profit-driven food production and distribution system. Then the spread of the virus around the world has been driven by a globalized free trade, moving goods and human beings around the earth in the matter of hours. There has been resistance from national governments Um, to implement effective public health measures, and that has come from the not-so-invisible hand of the free market. Initially reluctant to implement a lockdown because of the damage to the economy, the Tory government in Britain only changed tack because they were terrified of the political and economic consequences for them. Despite the best efforts of education workers, Schools are now the largest transmission site in Britain today, yet pro-capitalist politicians from across parties are desperate to keep them open. Why? Because if firms are unable to get working parents making money, then that will hit their bottom line. The inability of health services to cope is a direct result of over a decade of austerity measures. The cutbacks, the privatization, The wage suppression for public sector workers um, has been a conscious political and economic strategy um, of a class of capitalists who who are intent on having working people pay for their last crisis um, back in 2008. We were the ones um, to pay then and they expect us to be the ones to pay now. Thousands of healthcare workers around the world have died Personal protective equipment made for sale to the highest bidder was not where it needed to be, i.e. on the bodies of healthcare workers time and time again. The market failed and the price has been paid with the lives of those collapsed by politicians as heroes. In this crisis, there is not one bogeyman. It's not Boris Johnson or Dominic Cummings or Donald Trump or, or even Bill Gates. That is responsible for the wave after wave of human misery. The whole capitalist system is guilty. And that is a much, much bigger fish. Um, to fry it is certainly not something that you really feel like you can do a huge amount when you're standing in an operating theatre usually dedicated to the removal of tonsils wrapped in plastic and trying to convince uh, a couple of oxygen blokes to keep their non-invasive ventilation masks on otherwise they might die. Uh, but at some point you realise that actually everything that we need, all of the resources, all of the ingredients uh, for a new society already exist. A world in which a bat-based virus in a far off land doesn't result in millions of dead international misery already has the potential to exist. A world where the needs of the market just don't exist. One in which everybody can contribute what they can and take out what they need. Those resources already exist. The question we need to ask ourselves is what would it take to transform our world into a socialist one? And first of all, there needs to be a certain amount of material uh, wealth. This exists. This is a wealthy planet. It's certainly the wealthiest planet in this solar system. And it might not always feel like that, because, but that's only because the ruling capitalist class have stashed loads of it away between various cities uh, in the Cayman Islands. The whole world is in dire straits um, because this class of capitalists, whose entire position in life is based um, on the exploitation of the planet and everybody uh, on it, and they're the ones in charge. But it doesn't have to be like that. The the great mass of us, the exploited, the working class, we could do things differently. We know that we are already um, the most resourceful class in society. We know through our labours how to repurpose an operating theatre into something like an intensive care unit, which is actually a lot more difficult uh, than it sounds. Tory flagship nightingale hospitals lie empty, an embarrassment to the name of the nurse that they named it after. Why? Because no one works there. Nothing happens without workers. We are the primary agents of action. And change and most importantly despite our differences when we move we move together when we act we act together and when you think about it everything we do we do it together and it, it might not feel like that when you're stood there wrapped in plastic in your metaphorical tonsil theatre slash makeshift ICU asking yourself how did I get there but the truth is actually you're never on your own There's always a mate, there's always somebody, somewhere who can help. We don't work in silos, not naturally uh, anyway. Work is collective. Everything we do, we do together. We could plan the economy. We could repurpose its resources to meet the needs of everyone. If there's one thing that the first wave and a half has shown us, it's that we working people have got the resourcefulness, the resilience, the discipline, and above all else, the collective spirit to build a world in our own image. We've got a world to win, comrades, so solidarity. Thank you so much, Jackie. That's so, so brilliant
2: to hear from you. I I think... Every time I hear from you, it's always brilliant. But especially when we talk about something like coronavirus, and you know, in the past year, I think everyone in the Zoom room have heard every possible analysis of COVID, uh, from the most scientific data to analysis trying to explain it, or even you know, spread fake news saying that it doesn't exist at all. And I think everyone has been talking about it constantly from every angle that you can possibly imagine. But the benefit of hearing about it from the people on the front line, also with the socialist analysis, it really, I think it really helps us to understand what's going on. And I think it's just invaluable uh, for everyone to understand. And, and I think the connection between how this pandemic goes on and how it's all like the, the way that it's been uh, happening is all to do with the system. It's not just a health crisis is is just unbelievably important for everyone who is active on the streets, um, you know, as socialist activists, but everyone who's trying to understand this impossible situation as well. And I think that that that's that's also why we love having events like this, because we know also specifically the rallies that we have like this one, because we can really delve into these issues but not leave them just as reports um, from workers and from activists. We take the analysis, we get the political content out of those issues and analyze them. And I think as much as we love these events, they don't happen that often, at least not often enough for us to, you know, always gather and, and do that. So what can you do in the meantime? I think, Uh, You'll you'll be very happy to know that you're in luck because the Socialist Alternative paper takes those issues and applies this analysis that we're talking about on a monthly basis. And our latest edition came out just a couple of weeks ago, so it's fresh and ready for everyone to read. In order to maintain our paper paper free from the influence of the rich, we can't take their money. (laughs) So that's why we're asking for a very small donation of one pound or two pounds, although you wouldn't say no if you wanted to donate more and support our activity further. And uh, this will help us not only cover our costs, but also fund our activity. I think this rally really showcases how important it is that we keep on doing what we're doing. And obviously in the world that we live in, we can't do that without some funding. So you can either get a physical copy or a PDF uh, for your convenience in this COVID world. So, uh, I'm gonna put the link to buy in the chat now so everyone can uh, can buy it if they want to. And uh, uh, you really should, it's it's got some brilliant uh, articles this month, but always. Now, I'm very happy to welcome our next speaker, Jacku, who's from Hong Kong. And I think the situation in Hong Kong in the past few years has been tumultuous to say the least. Uh, but this year was a real culmination in the process of struggle there. Uh, and we've seen a lot of kind of changes uh, in the uh, the laws as well that made the situation very difficult. Uh, so Jaco, can you tell us a little bit more about the situation and kind of how can we as socialists in the UK help?
5: Uh, Xi Jinping appears to have gained his position during pandemic, but in reality, it is the opposite. Despite heavy repression and surveillance system, the Chinese grassroots youth and the layer of workers are being radicalized. There is a growing anti-oppression and anti-rich sentiment and people feeling the extremely low class mobility and the need for complete change of the system. There's growing layer of youth claiming, claiming themselves as Marxists or Maoists in mainland China. There was a very young student protest across over 10 cities in China against the school authorities, uh, which happened in September. The school authorities, uh, which are directly controlled by the CCP, imposed extremely strict measures in the name of fighting pandemic. Uh, The supposed one-week holiday in October was cancelled. There were blockades and surveillance cameras on the entrance of many schools. And the students suffered from bad quality uh, and the high cost of living condition in the schools. And students young as eight, uh, 16 to 18 years old across over 10 cities, chant slogans at the building of the dormitory to protest. And they even climbed uh, over the fence. Uh, they put up uh, slogans. Uh, for example, they use some Mao's, Mao slogans where there's oppression, there's revolt. Uh, Although we are not supporting Mao's idea, this still reflect a certain mood of uh, anti-repression and anti-oppression because uh, Mao in China is seen as a a symbol uh, of uh, grassroots revolt uh, among many youth now. And many students were arrested. And this struggle is a continuation of J6 struggle in 2018. In 2018, the JSEC, a company called JSEC in South China, the boss refused to recognize the formation of a trade union at the plant and independence trade unions are illegal in China. And the boss, they used violence and dismissals to break the workers' struggle. Around 100 workers went on strike with socialist students going to support. And these students, uh, activists, and leaders were detained and forced TV confessions. By the end of 2018, the CCP authorities had launched a nationwide crackdown on university campuses, closing down many Marxist societies, which was like the uh, organizational platform of many these uh, Marxist or Maoist youth. Chinese authoritarian capitalist nature are exposed, especially because the boss and manager of Jason company are representative of the so called Parliament. These youth claim themselves as uh, Socialists and Ma- or Maoists. Uh, at the same time, they are not really core supporters of Mao and they're critical of many Mao's policies in the past. In many ways, they have more sim- similarity with the new left movement in Europe or US than the traditional Maoists. Unlike many Maoists and Stalinists in the West, these Chinese young Maoists, they are more critical of CCP or even supporting the overthrowing of the CCP regime. Although they cannot say it explicitly due to the repression. They don't have a clear ideology. And of course they are under influence of reformism, nationalism and activism. Uh, have not yet drawn a full conclusion of revolutionary Marxism. However, the general consciousness uh, of anti-oppression, anti-dictatorship is like many countries in the West, but it's ex- only expressed in a different way. On the internet today, uh, there are also wide discussion on different new terms, political terms, for example, like accelerationism. Uh, this means that uh, uh, a layer of people, they think that Xi Jinping's uh, disastrous foreign policy and the heavy repression triggered the imperialist attack from the U.S. and also the internal crisis of the regime. And this will, they think that this will speed up the process of revolution, which is uh, something pos- positive. And this discussion shows that there's some desire of uh, uh, youth uh, uh, in China. They think there's a need for complete change of the system. At the same time, young cola workers jobs are no longer seen as a decent job. The CCP abolished the labor laws in in Shenzhen, the south part of China, to legalize the so-called 996, which means to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. for six days a week. Uh, That that is very common in IT sectors in mainland China. And uh, the CCP attempts to liberalize the economy of this financial city, Shenzhen, to allow more free flow of uh, uh, capital, foreign capital, and to capitalize for technology technological development. And another uh, 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 case to show that the escalation of the repression on the left is that our ex-member uh, Chai Xiaoming was detained for one and a half year and charged of inciting subversion of the regime. In August, he was at secret trial with Prosecutor recommending three to five years sentence. This the result of the trial is not public. He broke with our organization for political differences uh, years ago. He has been working with a Maoist left website. The re- reference after leaving our organization, and this website supported uh, j struggle in two thousand eighteen. And uh, now we another sign of the uh, big crisis of the. The CCP is the split at the top level. CCP is a dictatorship, which means the internal divisions cannot be openly debated or expressed in public opinion. Uh, the power struggle between officials is secret, meaning they put their political rivalry in the prison or even killing. On service, the whole party must show unity and not to reveal any internal divisions. And now there's a split between uh, President Xi and the Prime Minister Li ke has been very open. This is the most top level officials open power struggle uh, since the Tiananmen Square 1989 movement. And this is because uh, this shows that the uh, regime is not so strong as they try to appear, and it's if it is a, in a big crisis. And the anti-Xi layer uh, like led by Li ke Chan, represent the mood of a layer of uh, ruling class, they want, they think Xi Jinping's hardline approach and uh, is uh, causing trouble, and they want more skillful approach in ruling and maintaining a peaceful relationship with the US and the Western imperialism in order to maximize their profits. And for Xi Jinping, they, he must uh, only to further strengthen his hardline approach in order to consolidate his power, because for dictator, they cannot uh, admit that they, they have been doing wrong. Uh, this will means a question of uh, authority and also the question of life of death for dictators. So the logic drive, this logic drives China into a direction of revolutionary situation as there's very little room for dictators to do uh, significant reforms, especially on the issues like democratic election or allowing independent trade unions which, uh, because these issues can trigger waves of uh, mass revolutionary upheavals. And any kind of independent organization uh, is banned and the mass anger has much less channels to release uh, compared to bourgeois democracy. The mass anger like uh, in China, it is like the boiling water in a high pressure cooker. It needs higher than hundred degree to boil but when it boils, the steam will be much more powerful. And ISA is the only international socialist organizations uh, organizing underground in mainland China. We have been recruiting promising youth in China this year, and most recruitment this year is under 18 years old. Inevitably, some of them face a situation of uh, repression, like arrest or interrogation. So when uh, anyone joins uh, Socialist Alternative uh, in England, Wales, Scotland or any country, you are also uh, with these prosecuted comrades in China. But no dictators can do a complete crackdown forever. And ISA will be the first Trotsky organization having our force on the ground in mainland when CCP starts to lose their total control. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Jaco. This, uh, first of all, finishing on this note, I think is really, really powerful for everyone in this room. Um, and I think you, you're faced with an impossible situation in Hong Kong and you, you, the uh, comrades in Hong Kong and in China um, in, in, in the area generally are just so courageous. It's so incredible to hear about it. And I'm sure I'm speaking on behalf of everyone here when I'm saying, like when I'm sending solidarity your way, And speaking of solidarity, a big part of us being able to organize campaign to support our comrades around the globe. And obviously to do the work that we do here as well is being able to afford it. So as we all know, living in a capitalist world means that everything is expensive and everything costs money and not taking money from big businesses, billionaires and the rich means that we rely solely on donations from working class people just like you, from our members. Um, So, before we continue with this rally, I want to invite Miranda to explain a little bit more about how important our finances are to us and also what we use them for and how you can help too. So, Miranda, you have the floor.
6: Thanks, Ciara. Um, So, I'll just introduce myself. So, I'm Miranda. Um, I'm a student in Plymouth and I'm a member of the new Southwest branch um, that started recently um before I launch into the finance appeal um I first want to say actually um that lockdown and the whole covid thing uh has been really tough for everyone whether you're working or working from home or whatever um we we can't socialize and we can't see our loved ones which is a really basic human need um and I think that's been really grueling for everyone it definitely has been for me um we've already heard about how um how bleak things are at the moment and I'm going to talk more about how bleak things are Um, but before I get into that I just want to say that without the party and without the comrades, things would be a hell of a lot bleaker. So I'll get on with the appeal now. Um, So we've heard the word unprecedented enough times uh, but it bears repeating that we're currently living in a period of huge injustice and urgent struggle. Here in the UK we've had Europe's highest death toll from Covid while other countries have had far fewer deaths thanks to a Tory government who puts the interests of their rich mates ahead of the lives of the working class people. They're not incompetent, they just don't care. The pandemic doesn't affect everyone equally either, you're at a higher risk of getting Covid if you're a frontline worker, if you live in overcrowded housing or in an area where there's entrenched poverty, and all of which disproportionately affects ethnic minorities um, who have suffered a disproportionate number of deaths. As well as the tragedy of thousands of lives lost to COVID, the Tories' profit-first response continues to do damage. We've had A-levels being decided by a biased algorithm, and students have been encouraged back to uni with little respect for our well-being. Um, Instead, we're being used as cash cows to line the pockets of landlords and to prop up local economies, but at the same time, we're being scapegoated for the second wave. Rishi Sunak's announcement of a pay freeze for public sector workers, along with rising unemployment, mean that the working class are once again being punished for a crisis not of our making. There's no reason that a pandemic should necessarily result in a recession, but we're now being told to buckle up for the biggest contraction of the economy in three centuries, because according to those in power, that's just the way that it is. The ruling class, meanwhile, continue to look after their own in the so-called chumocracy, Um, and those at the top are making record profits while the rest of us struggle to make ends meet. So the virus itself may be a natural phenomenon but the crisis is a product of our fundamentally flawed system as was so excellently illustrated by Jackie. Um, Capitalism is literally killing us and we know this because despite decades of struggle black people are still suffering racist state violence, women still have to fight for reproductive rights, Trans people still suffer extreme prejudice and climate change is still a looming threat. But we are still fighting back. Um, Uprisings such as Black Lives Matter, the student rent strikes and the climate strikes have been explicitly anti-capitalist in their demands and in their actions. People can see that the issues they face are systemic and they require systemic change. Socialist Alternative has been growing a lot this year. Um, In the UK, we've been able to start new branches here in the southwest and in Scotland. And internationally, we've gotten Chama Sawant elected to local office in Seattle um, on a program of taxing Amazon, a $15 minimum wage and defunding the police to pay for community housing. And we did this despite huge, well-funded opposition from the establishment and from Jeff Bezos. We're about to hear from a comrade in Belarus, uh, which is somewhere that we didn't have members. So we spent money sending comrades there to take part in the mass struggle and to build our organization there. Um, And none of these successes have come out of nowhere. Behind every protest, strike and political movement, there's so much groundwork that goes on and it's not always exciting, but it's what makes it all happen. Um, And this is where finance is so important. Um, To give you an idea of the day-to-day costs of running the organization, um, printing each edition of our paper costs 740 pounds. It was 87 pounds to print the revolutionary ideas posters and 55 pounds to post them to the branches. We paid 48 pounds to upgrade our Zoom accounts to be able to host the event. Plus, there's our international subs. As an organization, we pay £700 to the International Socialist Alternative to help fund the work we do around the world. Um, all of these expenses that I've talked about is how we're laying the groundwork and struggling in real time for radical change, and it shows what's possible with small donations. The global capitalist system offers no solutions to its perpetual crises. But our organization is expanding and we're able to answer the challenges of today, whether it's the far right, Jeff Bezos, COVID-19 or climate change. And we demand nothing short of a global socialist system. We know that no one but us, the people with the most to gain and the least to lose, will fund the revolution. And I know that there are comrades here who wouldn't hesitate to rob a bank for the cause. uh, But I'm not asking you to do that today. Um, Instead, I'm asking you to pledge what you're going to donate to our fighting fund. The pledge form is in the chat column. Um, You don't have to pay right now you can do an IOU and there's a link to pay by PayPal. Um, If you don't use PayPal you can still fill out the pledge form and we'll email you a link for card payment. Um, While you're deciding how much you want to donate, um, think about what you'd have spent if you were at this event in person. So how much you would have spent on transport to Manchester where this event was meant to be held. Um, or on accommodation for tonight, or what you might have spent at the pub following the event. Um, Can you make a donation that reflects these expenses? Um, I'm a student and I don't have loads of money. Um, I'm assuming that a lot of us here are in a similar situation. Uh, So today I'm gonna pledge 20 quid, um, and knowing what's possible with many people all making a small donation, I would urge you to donate what you can. Um, And we're aiming to smash our target tonight of £5,000. So I'm going to read out some pledges. Um, Tom from Leicester has pledged £130. Danny from North London with £20. Clive from Coventry, £400. Wow, (laughs) that's amazing. Thank you, Clive. Um, Becky from Salford, £10. Mary from West Yorkshire, £20. Andy from Merseyside, £100. Jason from Brighton £50, Hanora who isn't a member yet £60, thank you Hanora, um, Sheffield Branch £300, um, Franklin from Leicester £100, Sarah from North London £30, Paul from Manchester £100, Kevin from Salford, oh yes £100, Sean <laughs> from Brighton £40, uh, Michael from Leicester £50, um, Jeff in Newcastle £15, pounds. York Branch £60, pounds. Um, David from Sheffield £50, pounds. Hugh from Manchester £100, pounds. Sandra from Leicester £30, pounds. Fiona from Manchester £50, pounds. Sophia from Leicester £12, pounds. Chaz and Sue from Kent Medway £300. Pounds. Um, I'm just switching apps and I'm going to keep going um drew and julie walton from leicester 80 pounds jack from me from medway 100 pounds steve from north london 50 pounds tim from brighton 500 pounds (laughs) Woo! five grand here we come (laughs) michael and suzanne from london 100 pounds um i think we're gonna get some more coming through (laughs) Okay. Sorry, now they're coming through from two chats. (laughs) Bear with me, Rose from Cumbria, 50 pounds. Sorry, I know I'm having technical issues. Connor, 50 pounds. Paul G, 100 pounds. And it's all coming through in the chat as well. I don't know if these are real numbers coming in the chat, but they're big, we like that. <laughs> David Jones, 120 pounds. If, if we were doing this in person, I'd be like hearing lots of noise from people and applause and stuff, it makes, you know, hopefully next year. And we've got 200 pounds from ivan 80 pounds from manjit okay i've been told to wind up so (laughs) yara's going to announce the total amount that we've raised at the end of the rally thank you so much everyone this is how this is how we make it happen
2: cheers brilliant thank you so much miranda and obviously for everyone who has been donating this is amazing i can't wait like it looks like so much money i can't wait to uh know the final amount and of course keep the donations coming we're still looking in the chat um so i think i think it's really incredible that we have so many people who are willing to contribute to the struggle and and willing to make the sacrifice um and i think i just want to reiterate that we really appreciate any donation, from thousands of pounds if you can, to a couple of pennies. You know, different people can afford different amounts, and every little bit counts. So, thank you so much for for any contribution that you have made. Now, of course, if you agreed with what's been said here tonight, but also generally with the discussions today, and if you agreed that we do have a world to win, we just need to fight for it. So please join us and do that with us. Click the link in the chat to fill out a join form and someone from your region will contact you ASAP and you can join Socialist Alternative. Now let's get back to the main event. Our next speaker is another very, very exciting guest that I can't wait to hear from. Um, I'm just really excited to have here who's Javid, who's a member of the Russian section of the ISA. Mm -hmm. and he's going to talk to us a little bit about Belarus. And the situation in Belarus this year escalated rapidly with mass protests and an inspirational movement developing on the streets against President Lukashenko. So, Javid, what what has it been like and why are people so angry? And kind of like how were the protests manifested now? We're also going to have translation for Javid, so this uh, uh, just bear, bear with us while Javid is speaking, and Rob will uh, will translate.
1: Okay, Javid, let's
7: see. What you know? I want to say that the protest is <laughs> developing <laughs> quite heroically, despite repression, the fact that political Вот, и то, что длится уже там больше двух-трех месяцев. I
1: think I think the uh, it's necessary to say that the in Belarus has been extremely heroic. It is it has carried on now for 3 months despite all the repression, a huge number of
7: uh, начинался, uh, наверное, предпосылка к протесту была низкий уровень жизни, маленькие зарплаты, пенсионная реформа, закон о туниядстве и так далее.
1: And the, and the movement has um uh it, it started off because of the economic conditions, a very, very low level of wages. Not not long ago, the government carried out pension reforms, and there's all sorts of other problems developed in the economy.
7: And of course,
1: there was a crazy position of President Lukashenko in relation to COVID. He was a a real COVID dissident.
7: Поводом же к развитию протестов стало э, выборы. Выборы президента, где Лукашенко просто нарисовал себе 80%. То есть бюллетени but даже the, the
1: особо, the, не считал. Uh, первое
7: время использовались резиновые пули, на улицах было много крови, и остановил это рабочий класс стихийные забастовки.
1: трудящиеся
7: брали на счёт ещё и требования экономические академической контрактной системы, но Либеральная uh, часть оппозиции, руководящая процесс, протестом, uh, всячески это требование отказались uh, выдвигать в качестве общих.
1: The, the, the workers have been very angry in the recent period, because they have had to work on um, a contract system. In effect, they're all precarious workers now. But the liberal opposition, the leadership of the movement, refused to take that up as an issue
7: э э либеральная элита также отказались привлекать лидеров там заводил от коллективов трудящихся дворовых объединений студенческих объединений к э руководящей роли в протесте что опять же ослабило протест
1: Refused to take on board any representatives from the workers' collectives, from the students' uh, committees that have been formed, or from the courtyard committees, which is a, a key part of the organisation. Uh,
7: даже дату объявления всеобщей национальной забастовки объявили как бы как постфактум для uh, стачечных комитетов. Просто поставили в известность, um, что very... вы будете бастовать.
1: For example about a month ago the uh, leaders of the o- liberal opposition suddenly announced that there was going to be a national uh, general strike on a Monday and they hadn't even discussed it with the leaders of the strike committees in the factories.
7: Трудящиеся при этом сами ищут пути для объединений. Первички независимых профсоюзов пытаются объединить свои усилия студенты уже объединились между собой, у них есть свой координирующий
1: студенческий орган. The have done so. set up a joint uh,
7: дворы недовольны руководством uh, либеральных uh, элит. Uh, в частности, нехты, которые за счет грантов uh, в основном существуют сейчас, они свои маршруты для воскресных маршев предлагают людям. И последний марш был по их ну, инициативе и под их руководством, руководство, можно
5: сказать.
1: But what we're seeing now is that these developing are beginning to have more influence. For example, on last Sunday's um, demonstration, it was the courtyard committees. Um, the courtyard is where it's around where people live. Um, uh, they decided what route the march was going to take, and that was accepted.
7: Uh, the fact is that the elite, uh, who are the process, has their own interests. В частности, в Координационном совете, в основном в, в президиуме, в руководстве, он из людей Бабарики, банкира, и из правой христианской демократической партии преимущественно представлен.
1: Of course, the liberal elite that are trying to head the protests have got their own interests. For example, it includes Bab- Babarico, who, is a, who is a banker. Uh, it also includes people who would you who you would link up with the um, european christian democrats uh,
7: люди настроены более радикально uh, даже uh, если не судить левой меркой они хотят uh, парламентскую например республики. честные выборы которые обещает бабарика им так бы не устраивают я не этот парламентскую республику you, как
1: на нём yeah. Even if you accept that people haven't developed a socialist consciousness yet, they have a more radical uh, approach than the leaders of the uh, opposition. For example, while Babrika just wants a new election with what he calls a fair vote, uh, ordinary people want the system to be uh, removed and a parliamentary republic uh, put in its place.
7: We, uh, from the first day, the organization и берем на счет более радикально-демократическое требование учредительного собрания всех слоев
1: трудящихся. В параллельно с этим мы вносим
7: в рабочий класс свою левую программу идею обобществить крупные uh, средства производства крупные предприятия под рабочим контролем.
1: At the same time, of course, we're trying to uh, uh, present our ideas to the working class as a whole. For example, we talk about taking into uh, social ownership the the um, um, the heights of the economy. Ah.
7: Uh... Из того, что у нас сейчас актуально происходит, на неделе внутри электротехнического предприятия имени Козлова будет кампания о повышении заработных плат, которую мы ведем.
1: Да.
7: Стачечный комитет сам инициировал идею, вот, чтобы помимо общегражданских требований, которые есть, добавились вот требования экономические, чтобы привлечь тех, кто еще в протесте не
1: задействован из Звачан.
7: Uh, ta- также хочется сказать, что uh, d- дворы uh, тоже uh, всячески с ними взаимодействуем, и уже нас многие знают вот в некоторых районах.
1: очень активны в комитетах, мы хорошо в Минске, в времени.
7: да. И э, до да одной из Барши, например, э, целый э, один из э, активистов целого района вышли с нами, э, поддержали нашу колонну, шли с нами, баннер держали, плакаты, сдавали наши листовки.
1: For example, on one of the big demonstrations in Minsk on the Sunday, uh, the whole uh, committee of one of these the whole of a courtyard committee came along and held our
7: uh-huh. Uh, что хочу сказать, сейчас протест пошел на такой низкий старт.
1: I think now that the protest has gone to a lower level.
7: Любой протест в таких условиях развивается, наверное, как бы спиралеобразно, как-то циклично. И настроение людей достаточно, я бы сказал, радикально. И мы как бы такой на пороховой бочке. В любой момент может начаться новая волна,
1: подняться and it means that even though the protest at the moment is low at any moment it could explode out
7: again. and we have, it turns out, such a pause between these waves, вот, in which we can work because the mood is maximally radical, people are ready for political И это хорошее время для расширения нашего влияния, нашей левой программы в рабочем классе.
1: Это время еще актуально,
7: потому что трудящиеся задачеи задачей как-то рефлексировать ошибки руководства либерального либерального руководства протестом и искать альтернативы, которые могут им предложить другую тактику какую-то более адекватно, чтобы добиваться какого-то успеха.
1: It is also good because this this break in the movement or the pause in the movement is giving workers a chance to think things over. To think about the mistakes that were made by the liberal opposition, and about the need to uh, organize
7: themselves. И вот в этих условиях, по сути, мы потихонечку строим свою организацию. Пока что она небольшая, в ней там около 10 человек. До как бы условия располагают к тому, чтобы это количество людей росло достаточно быстро.
1: Um, and these are the conditions that we've been working in in order to put together the first uh, base for our organization we now have about 10 uh, 10 people around us and uh, we're hoping that we're going to grow
7: вот хотел бы э uh, закруглиться сказать спасибо большое товарищам которые всё это время поддерживают из разных стран э uh, спасибо огромное э uh, товарищам uh, из россии которые там, отправили uh, поддержали поездку вот. uh, Ж- белусь.
1: <laughs> and And um, in conclusion, I really want to thank all the comrades who have given real help to our movements in terms of helping us in solidarity, in helping us to finance the work that we are doing there. And I suppose I should just finish by saying, Long live an independent socialist Belarus.
0: So that's
7: it. Thank you. -hmm.
2: Thank you so much. That's incredible to hear about. Thank you, Javid. And also, thank you, Rob, for translating. That's heroic work as well. Um, I think it, it's just it's just so interesting to hear what people in Belarus are doing and I think everyone can agree that the work that our, our comrades are doing there is amazing um, and especially like you know considering the levels of oppression. Uh, we've heard from a couple of countries that have that level of oppression today and it's just amazing to see uh, what's happening then. I think it's also and so inspirational to see how Marxist ideas are still relevant today and that, that I think that's something that we've spoken about a lot today and it's interesting to note that about 80 years ago Marxists were saying the same thing like they were saying today about the texts that were written 100 years prior now 200 years ago in fact Liam Trotsky himself wrote a brilliant pamphlet called Marxism in our time just to do that and now you even have the opportunity to read it. We've just published these, this pamphlet with a preface that connects the ideas of, that Trotsky talks about to today and how it affects today. And I think that everyone attending Revolutionary Ideas will benefit massively from getting your hands on a copy. And it's, it's really cheap. It's only three pounds donation to help us and uh, obviously also postage and packaging. And it can be ordered by using the link that I'm gonna put in the chat. Um, so uh, that is great. Hopefully, um, you uh, benefit from reading it and getting it. Now, moving from Belarus, I think it's it's important to look at the region as well. And the, the, the comrades that we have in the region and in Russia, um, particularly, are in an impossible situation right now uh, in the last week. And we have Anna here to kind of make this incredibly important solidarity appeal coming from our comrades in Russia. So Anna, please let us know what we can do.
8: Hello, hello everyone. Hello comrades and thank you so much for letting me speak here today. Um, I'll be speaking on behalf of the Socialist Feminist Alternative in Russia about the events on 25th of November. I think the first thing to mention is that there is no law protecting women from domestic abuse and violence in Russia despite many protests and petitions. The situation with domestic violence in Russia is horrible and the official statistics keeps lying about like only 200 women killed yearly because of it, despite the unofficial estimated numbers, roughly 14,000. So this year, November 25th, Socialist Feminist Alternative, together with the Socialist Alternative members and other feminist organizations, held a series of individual pickets to raise awareness about the issue. And I think it is important to say that individual pickets is the only form of protest that does not require to be approved by the police or the government, so the action was completely legal. Despite that, 12 people were arrested and some of them were brutally dragged and beaten by the police. The police did not present themselves, showed no documents and did not explain what the girls are being arrested for and whenever we called the police to ask where they're being taken, they refused to give us any information. I think it is also important to say that when the girls were being arrested, the people walking past approved of the police actions, saying it was their jobs and that the girls provoked them by holding the posters, which is once again not illegal. So when they were brought to the police station, the police announced the lockdown, which is only meant to be announced in cases of real threat like shootings and stuff. And they wouldn't let those who came to support the girls pass them their belongings, documents and warm clothes. They were also refusing to let the lawyer in without explaining why. While the girls were held there, the police used psychological pressure and threatened they would get in touch with the places where they study to get them expelled in order to make them sign various documents to justify their actions. They were also trying to force them to leave their fingerprints, which is not required for administrative prosecution, but only for criminal. Also, some were released that night, but six of them had to spend a night in a cell with a broken window. The police only gave them two blankets for all the six people who stayed there, refused to give them any food or water, and refused to turn the lights off. So this happened on Wednesday and they stayed there until Friday evening, which is when the court session was. So for the court session, they didn't let any journalists in, refused the lawyers to come in as well. And when the lawyers managed to get in, they barely let them speak saying they should be thankful they were let in at all. So all of them, all six of them were sentenced to from two to five days of arrest for resisting the police. And one girl is now facing another arrest after release, which could result in up to 30 days of arrest excluding the ones she's already going to spend at the detention center. One guy was released and because uh, he has already spent his two days at the police station, but the remaining five girls were brought to the detention center, yet there was a queue in no places, so they spent over 12 hours in the police car with no heating, and you guys can imagine how cold it is in Russia right now. They refused to give them any food or water. They only allowed them to go to the toilet outside despite the cold weather. And when the girls demanded to be taken to the detention center, they took away their phones, dragged them outside, pushed them and dragged them on the ground. So there is currently a lot of financial and moral support and solidarity with the girls in Moscow, St. Petersburg and other Russian cities. But given how much work Socialist Feminist Alternative manages to get done, despite all these risks and repressions, I believe it is essential we show support and solidarity on international level as well. Thank you. Thank you
2: so much, Anna. I think all of us send solidarity to our comrades in Russia, and I think the way that the Russian regime is treating working class people, and especially women, is appalling. And as this rally is all about the international element of capitalism and the international element of fighting it and the solidarity in it, I think that it's clear that we should do as much as we can to help um, our, our comrades in Russia um through um the picture that was on the, the the methods in the picture on the screen now i also moving to a m- maybe slightly nicer thing to talk about i want to announce that so far we've counted 7100 pounds in pledges and i think that's an incredible achievement that we should all be proud of but i also want to kind of stress that people can still pledge through this weekend. Let's get higher than that. Can we get to 10,000? Let's 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 do this. And kind of, can you even donate five more pounds if you've already pla- pledged? Can you pledge any, anything more? One pound um, would, would get us closer to um, getting to 10,000. Um, now we have one last speaker tonight. And I think The speaker has the incredibly difficult job of trying to sum up this fantastic rally and i think it's going to be very very hard so don't forget how much we've covered today and uh, let's give him as much uh, as much opportunity as possible to do it but i'm sure he's gonna be more than capable of summing this up so mike can you take out your crystal ball a little bit and tell us more about what the future looks like for capitalism and Do you think we're the gates of a new capitalist era, and how can we organise against
0: it? Thanks, Yara. And uh, hello, everybody. It's great to see everyone. Uh, An amazing rally so far. I was asked to speak, I think, as one of the older and maybe more experienced members. But after all these young and inspirational speakers, young to me at least, uh, it's a difficult act to follow, as you say, Yara. These last few months have been really difficult all over the world, but as we know, we've all been in this together, or have we? Ginger will know about the Elon Musk, whose company profits jumped to £128 billion this week. Shares have climbed by 33%, so he is now due a bonus of another $55 billion, They will only be producing half a million cars next year, whereas Toyota will be producing 10 million. Stock market uh, bettors are taking a punt on Musk's company and making money as well. Shares in America have risen by 500 points, taking the stock market over 30,000 points. If you've got a spare Bitcoin in your back pocket, that one is now worth $19,000. So, no, we're not on all this all in this together, are we? Here in Britain, the failed test and trace system, which has already cost taxpayers £22 billion, has actually contacted only 58% of people in the 20 worst affected areas. So, what did the Tory government do? In the latest announcement, they decided they give them another 7 billion pounds, taking them up to a 30 billion pound contract for a failed system that's gone to private companies like Serco, Sodexo, and even Amazon. Our own National Audit Office found that at the height of the crisis, the government finally managed to spend £12.5 billion ordering PPE, and they secured apparently 32 billion individual items of personal protective equipment. So surely that's a pause to celebrate for Boris? But only 10% of those items were actually delivered delivered to the NHS trusts and frontline staff. So where the hell is the rest of it? It's not even been ordered yet, apparently. And who got these orders? Well, if you've been following the news, you know that you're 10 times more likely to get a contract with this government if you've been recommended personally by a government minister or someone who sits in the House of Lords. The three richest men in the world have a combined annual salary of $1,605 billion. They earn on average 4,216 times more than the average of the workforce in their companies. San Francisco apparently has been praised for suggesting each company that pays more than 100 times the average worker should be taxed an additional 0.01% of their profits. And they're squealing about it, 0.1% of their profits. It's a scandal, comrades. And so it goes on. You know the disparities, 0.001% of the world's population own just over 50% of the world's wealth. 70% of the world's land is owned by 1% of landowners. During this crisis, the concentration and centralization of wealth in the hands of the richest minority has actually accelerated. And yet under COVID, 245 million jobs will go this quarter across the world. The Eurozone deficit will be $1 trillion. The total spending this year across the world has been $11.7 trillion, bailing out capitalist companies in order to maintain the system. So where did this money suddenly all come from? Because remember, when we campaign for free education, for decent housing, for a living wage, a decent pension, or even rent freezes, what are we told? We don't have the money. Our system can't afford it. Afford it. The amount Britain has so far spent could build, just on PPE, 500 new hospitals and overcome the entire staff shortages of 100,000 people in the NHS. There has been and continues to be obscene profiteering. And all the studies are coming up with this startling evidence. If you are poor, if you are black or Asian, if you're elderly or frail, if you live in cramped housing, if you work in low-paid jobs, if you suffer with poor diet or have underlying health conditions, you are more likely to die of COVID. So this, we're not in all this together, are we? that those sections of society that the hardest hit are the ones who are suffering the most. And add to that list, if you live in America, Brazil, India, Britain, or Russia, and as we just heard Belarus, you're also more likely to die. There have been the worst outbreaks in the world in those countries, and what do they have in common? They have in common the following figures, one of whom's about to depart the stage of history, or at least we'd like to think so. Trump, Bolsonaro, Modi in India, Johnson in this country, Putin in Russia. All right wing authoritarian leaders who've either denied that COVID exists or they've let it rip through their communities. Health cuts, environmental destruction, which has brought dangerous pathogens closer to humankind. Poverty and capitalist globalisation have made this crisis far worse for our class. This is a disease that does discriminate. It discriminates against us. Now, does this make you angry? Because it does me. And this anger is beginning to turn into a worldwide resistance, which is only just beginning. This generation of fighters that we've heard from today, who have had to live with unemployment, job insecurity mental health issues, and death, this generation will fight even harder than the children of the financial crash of 08-09, who in in turn ignited revolutionary movements all around the world. You've heard from them today, from China, from America, from Belarus, from our own country, but everywhere we hear of resistance. In Poland, there has been a partial uprising around the tightened abortion laws an inspirational movement of millions who've been brought out onto the streets. In Thailand, there's been an uprising of the youth against the authoritarian monarchy who faced tear gas and poisoned water cannon. In India, we heard in the session this morning, there were 250 million people out on a general strike in the last two days. In Greece, we salute the thousands who turned out to demand action, against the fascist Golden dome, In Bolivia, there was a mass mobilization to overturn the US-inspired coup that over, in turn threw out the left-wing government and now another left-wing government is back in power. In Nigeria, we've witnessed the mass movements against repression. And one or two years ago before COVID hit, we saw uprisings in Chile, in Sudan, in Iran, in Iraq, and worldwide global strikes by the youth against environmental destruction. All of these movements we should take heart have been spearheaded by young people and of course by women. The list goes on, but we should remind ourselves, this is only just beginning. Capitalism can't meet our basic needs. It is slowly poisoning the planet and we will not be able to, And they can't steer us out of this economic and health crisis. They will priority the economy and their wealth over our needs. When threatened, what do they do? They use the police, the army, the legal system, and they try to dissolve basic rights. And what do we do about it? Well, as we've heard in the various countries where repression has been brought in, we fight back. Of course, we've got choices. You can despair, you can shrug your shoulders and do nothing. That way, they always win. The obstacles are huge, the path is definitely not clear, but International Socialist Alternative is pulling together those people who are at the heart of the fight back and want to fight back. We don't shrug our shoulders. We resist and we fight back. We take time out, of course, to study and to learn from other mass movements in the past, as we are doing this weekend. We take the lessons from history and we apply them to today's struggle and today's situation. We are beginning to assemble the forces which can be ready to intervene, to lead and to challenge the system. Many of you have already joined Socialist Alternative. Others here tonight are yet to make up your minds. I have to share this problem that we have with you all. We do have a huge problem. And the problem that we've got is we're not big enough. With your support, of course, we can be more successful and we can be effective. Everyone who joins, think of yourselves as another small nail in the coffin of capitalism. Becky Higney remarked on one of our chat threads, we have an R-rate in Socialist Alternative and that R-rate is 1.3. We are building faster and faster as this crisis grows and as our numbers start to increase. And the more people we recruit, those who join are going out to recruit others. And our, our rate, we want to go up over two, over three. We want to grow, as the health experts say, exponentially. I joined the then militant 48 years ago in 1972. In that era, we had the miners' strike. We had the three-day working week. We had a mass left voice developing inside the Labour Party. But comrades, take it from me. The situation today presents a different picture, but it presents a far more favorable opportunity than we had in the 1970s. It's complicated. That's why we have to discuss and analyze the situation, but it's enormously favorable. Capitalism, comrades, is exhausted and broken, and it requires a big push. That is where we come over, to push over a huge boulder We need more shoulders to the wheel. Give us a hand, comrades. Join International Socialist Alternative.
2: Brilliant, thank you so much, Mike, especially for the analogy of uh, what we do and the pandemic. What we need right now is to replace the pandemic with something a little bit more helpful. And I I think uh, we can all agree that that is building for socialism. And I think this is also an amazing note to end this rally on. So before everyone goes, I want to thank everyone who spoke today. in This rally also in the discussions that we had today. uh, I think this was a fantastic day and fantastic rally. And of course, I'd also like to thank anyone who's donated money or pledged money or filled out our join form or bought our paper or bought the new edition that we have published of Marxism in our time. And also you can still do all of this if you want to. Um, So don't hesitate to do this uh, when we finish. Now I also want to remind everyone before we go that tomorrow at 11am we're going to start our very exciting second day of this festival. So I'm going to put the Zoom links for the discussions uh, for tomorrow in the chat. Make sure that you have them with you. Now if the links are not working. The number at the end of the address is the meeting ID. And if you go on Zoom, you can enter that number and it will let you in no matter what. So um, please just uh, make sure that you know which discussion you're gonna go to and have the link for it. And hopefully see you all tomorrow. So thank you all for coming and sorry again for the technical difficulties and stopping a little later than planned. I think this was all worth it. So uh, see you tomorrow, bye-bye.